Welcome back to Diamond Gems, a Shape by Sports baseball podcast. I am your host, Jacob Coates, and today I am joined by my friend and brother, Isaac Coates. How's it going, pal? I'm fantastic. Once again, we're disappointed by Greg not showing up, but he's got more important things to do, such as enjoy his cottage and drive five hours home. Greg has been living that cottage life this summer. He's just been, it seems like every time we go to record on a Sunday, Greg's like, yeah, I'm I'm down to record early, but I'm coming back from a cottage, so like that's not going to happen. <laughs> but he didn't even say that. He was like, so yesterday he tells us, oh, let's record early. I'm down with that. So we're thinking we're going to record at 11. And then he tells us at 11, oh, I have to drive home from my cottage. I won't be home for five hours. It's like, yeah. oh, Okay. So. I got baseball and shit tonight, so like we're trying to knock this out now. So unfortunately, we are without Greg for uh, most of this podcast. We're actually going to get him to... We're breaking down our San Diego Padres all-time team, which is very exciting. Lots of cool and talented players on this roster. Uh, but Greg is on starting pitcher duty, so we're going to get him to come in later and just record his audio of his reasoning for the pitchers and whatnot, and I will just loop it in um, because, yeah, we don't have time to wait until Greg gets back at 5 o'clock tonight and then record for two hours and edit and all that shit. So, But there's this is something what it is cool. this week. <laughs> we have something cool coming out of it. I'm, I'm kind of more hyped now that Greg's not here because I think it adds time to build up some tension between us when we do our big Barry Bonds debate, which is going to come out sometime this week too because we want to do another episode with greg so we can just duke it out hell yeah so last week we kind of teased that there's there's been tension growing on the podcast about uh barry bonds in the hall of fame that big debate there's also been some tension about uh babe ruth and you know his his actual talent his levels existence and even, <laughs> even his existence exactly uh so we're we're kind of like we've been we've been building this up uh, we were going to do it today, but there was so much shit to talk about already this week that it almost seemed crazy to try and fit in uh, like our weekly recap, the Barry Bonds debate, and then on top of that, do our all-time San Diego Padres team. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to record our weekly recap starting now, and then Isaac and I will also do the San Diego Padres team, loop Greg in for that, and then I think Tuesday we're planning on recording a second episode which will be an episode where Greg can kind of like touch on all the shit we talked about this week and you know let us know if he thinks we said anything that was egregious um, and kind of defend his takes and maybe just if there's anything else he wants to talk about Um, but then we're going to get into a very heated debate about whether Barry Bonds should or should not be a Hall of Famer Obviously, a lot of talk about steroids is going to come up, so that might bring up some other players as well that uh, might might be in that in that circle. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for that. But without further ado, let's get started on this week's weekly weekly recap because there is a ton of shit to talk about. First things first, uh, you might not be seeing this, but on video, uh, I put out clips every now and then on social media, shaped by sports. Um, but I'm wearing my Cincinnati Reds t-shirt today that has Joey Votto on the back. That is in honor of Joey Votto reaching the career milestone of 2,000 hits uh, earlier this week. Obviously, 
that was uh, pretty cool. I don't know, Isaac, if you saw the uh, like the standing ovation and everything he got. Of course. Yeah. So that that went down. That's obviously a big milestone in anyone's career. It's also um, an iconic moment of Canadian history. Exactly. We'll embrace that up north. Yeah. We so we this is this is something we were talking about. Just looking at the reflecting on Joey uh, Joey Votto's like legacy as like a Cincinnati Red, but also. Um, you know, as a, an overall big league player and a Canadian baseball player, here are just some of his the the things he's accomplished so far in his 1,865 game career. So he's earned a MVP, Gold Glove. He's a six time All Star for his career, and you have to remember this is an active line because he still is an active player, having a fantastic year this year actually as well. Um, but his career slash line is 303, 417, and 538. That gives him a 938 OPS for his career. 323 home runs, 1,047 RBIs. He actually reached 1,000 this year as well. So he's knocked off two big milestones of 1,000 RBIs and 2,000 hits in the same season. Not a lot of people have you know, reached those milestones in the same year, so that's kind of cool. For his like career, I think his biggest claim to fame, I would say, Isaac, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong on this, but to me, he's just like one of the best all on-base machines of all time. His career on-base percentage is 417. That's fucking nuts. He's led the league in on-base percentage seven times, and he's exceeded an on-base percentage of 400 nine times in his career. So... When we talk about legacy, is there anything else that jumps off the page to you that I didn't touch on? I mean, it's just to add to that OBP, his career OBP line. So not only did he reach it nine times, but his career OBP line is 417. You won't find too many hitters that don't have that. Sorry, that do have a mark over 400. And if you do come across one, it is almost without doubt that they're in the Hall of Fame. Yep. Just uh, he just has a knack for getting on base. So, uh, he there's also like a little bit of debate now. Uh, for a very long time, it was kind of no doubt that Larry Walker was the greatest Canadian baseball player of all time, and I think he still is. To be fair, if you compare their numbers side by side, um, Larry Walker has him beat in the majority of of his uh, of the major categories, but. Larry Walker also spent 10 years of his career at Coors Field, which is the most hitter-friendly uh, park in baseball. There's there's really no other place comparable to it in terms of how much of an advantage you have as a hitter. Um, I mean, obviously, some people say, uh, like, when you go on the road, when you're a Colorado Rocky, it makes it a lot harder because th- the change between home and away it's a lot different, but overall, you see that people, when they go to Colorado, their numbers improve, and so that that kind of plays a bit of a factor into it, but obviously, Larry Walker is a Hall of Famer, um, amazing numbers. We talked about him uh, before, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, either way, you don't have to compare them because we're lucky that we have these two Canadian greats, and Joey Votto is a Hall of Famer nonetheless. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Isaac, but did you see, so there was that girl, like Abigail or whatever, that little girl 
yeah. that uh, had like a, she she was sad that Joey Votto wasn't in the starting lineup. I think and uh, Votto ended up coming out and like giving her a baseball and like taking pictures with her. And then the, the two of them kind of became like, uh, you know, friends, I guess. Hold on, hold um, on, hold on, hold on. Uh, just to add a little correction there. He was he was in the starting lineup. He just got tossed in the first inning. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> he got ejected. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so that was just a little thing that was going down on social media. Um, someone pulled up his numbers between the before uh, he met Abigail and after he met Abigail. And it's like night and day. Like he's just been on an absolute torrid pace ever since uh, that happened. So Abigail has become a hero in uh, in Red's country. So I think that that's a that's a fun little tidbit there. Um, but yeah, also Joey Votto, just a, a weird guy. Um, a lot of people say he's unique and nothing like him. I kind of think he's a bit of a fucking weirdo. That's okay. <laughs> I'm still a I'm still a fan. I'm still rocking the Joey Votto shirt. Um, he, he went on this weird tangent when they asked him what he was going to do with this 2000 uh, hit like ball that they collected. And he basically said that um, I forget what other milestone it was that he had checked off his list, but he, he gave the ball from that milestone, like to his dog and his dog just chewed the <laughs> shit out of the ball. And he's like, honestly, like that dog, unfortunately has died. Like I missed that dog who gave her a great life. And he starts like backtracking, being like thinking that PETA is like coming for his ass being like, oh shit. Yeah. You know, like I, I found out after that you probably shouldn't give dogs uh, baseball. So maybe I wouldn't give it to her, but honestly, I probably would have gave her the 2000 hit ball to chew up. Had I not known that it was bad for dogs. Like he just went on this really <laughs> weird tangent. He's just a weird guy overall. Um, uh, I know. love him. He's got one of the greatest characters. That's that's for me. That's what gives him the edge over me liking him more than Larry Walker. Is just... <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry Walker is a fucking weird guy too. To his, know, uh, but... his Hall of Fame induction speech or whatever, uh, or like his Hall of Fame induction. I think it was just over Zoom because uh, I think it took place during COVID, right? But um, he was imagine wearing working like your. Imagine was... working your whole. Wait, sorry. Go ahead. He was just wearing like a SpongeBob uh, button-down shirt, so he's a weird guy too. So overall, I think Americans are probably just thinking that Canadians are just fucking weirdos, which to a certain extent is is somewhat true. I won't deny that claim. <laughs> I mean, our two greatest baseball players of all time are a little off the rails sometimes, but you know, add to the appeal. Um, yeah, I I don't know what more we can say about Joey Votto. This is. I'm just looking at his career line now, even with his down seasons, quote unquote down seasons over the past few years, when his power completely just jumped off a cliff. It's crazy to see this resurgence of power back into his repertoire. But even with those down years, his career slash line is 303, 417, 520. So his OPS is 937 and his OPS plus is 148. So he has had a tremendous career, and even without the home runs pushing towards 400, um, I mean, it's hard to speak out against an MVP, I mean, not an MVP, uh, Hall of Fame career. Well, he Joey. also was an MVP, so you weren't he wrong was, by saying that. <laughs> that's true. In a season where he did 600 slugging percentage, I mean, not that bad. Mm-hmm. In fact, one, I'm looking at that, and out of his like big years, that was one of his lowest OBP years. 
that MVP mm-hmm. season. So I think it's crazy. pretty impressive too to see him have like the comeback that he's had this year. Uh, I think it was last year and the year before, kind of. We were talking about how we thought his career was kind of coming to an end. He had really had like a big decrease in power. Um, he had this weird plate approach, and I honestly I, I couldn't tell you if he still is doing it. But he was choking up so fucking high on the bat anytime he got to two strikes. Um, and that was part of the reason I think that his, his power was cut down, but it just seemed like at that time he was searching for it. So I'm really glad that he's seemingly, you know, found his stride again and is back out there performing and helping the Reds make a playoff push. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're right there in terms of the wild card race right now. I think they actually might have a wild card spot over mm-hmm. the Padres right now. So uh, yeah. we'll get into that a little bit later, but there's some other future Hall of Famer news and milestone chasing going on right now and that is Miguel Cabrera chasing his 500th home run he is sitting one away he's at 499 right now Uh, the Tigers are actually in Toronto right now so I've obviously been monitoring those games closely it's every time he comes to the plate right now people are pulling out their phones hoping to catch the moment of him hitting his 500th home run um I don't know, Isaac, what you think about like a guy like Miguel Cabrera. We kind of talked about this in another episode where we were discussing Albert Pujols and him kind of chasing all these milestones and stuff. It, it seems like, you know, when you actually compare um, Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera side by side, they're very similar type of hitters where, you know, they, they have a lot of power, but they're also just like good hitters. Like they hit for average, they take their walks, they get on base. Um, so I think it's kind of cool that these two guys are, you know, finishing up their careers and having these milestone chases kind of side by side. Um, obviously we've talked about how Albert seems a lot happier in, uh, in the Dodger blue, but, uh, yeah, this is about Miggy. Um, as I mentioned, another future hall of famer, he's a two-time MVP, triple crown winner, 11 time all-star, seven time silver slugger four-time batting title uh, winner, World Series champion with the Marlins. That was actually in his rookie season. Uh, He was also 46 hits away from joining the 3,000-hit club. That probably won't happen this year, I would would think, with the pace that he's going at. He'll have to come back another season uh, next year and hopefully knock that off the list as well. Um, He's also only nine doubles away from 600. Again, that might have to wait till next year, but it's possible that, you know, he could snag that as well. Um, What do you think, Isaac, about Miguel Cabrera coming back next season just to kind of reach these milestones? Because if we're being honest, like, do you think he comes back if he's already accomplished these or if they're kind of out of reach? I think a lot of it is dependent on where... Detroit is and I'm sure they're they're only midway through their 50 year 50 year rebuild so I'm sure <laughs> they'll allow him to keep batting cleanup um but I, I don't know it's been hard to watch Miguel Cabrera in the past few years chase this home run milestone uh between 2018 and 2021 I know it was an abbreviated season last year he only has 37 home runs uh his power mm. has just really fallen off a cliff it it's hard to watch this even watching him chase from 499 to 500 watching his at bats is just like this he doesn't have anything left in the tank mm. like his OPS right now is sitting below seven it's at 687 he's not 
there's people in the minors that are going to be batting better than him. So this is this is all about respect at this time, and he doesn't see he doesn't strike me as a guy that cares more about his own milestones than he does his team. So I have no idea what happens after he hits his 500. It to me, I'm kind of more looking towards the 3,000 milestone, and I really want to see him do that. This is a guy that had an unbelievable career. He'll be first ballot Hall of Fame, um, but just to see him get to that 3,000 hit mark would just be unbelievable. But it's right now, it's almost if this is his last season, I, he's not going to get there, and he's going to be one of those guys that finishes like 20 hits short, and then you'll look 10 years down the line and be like, oh my God, look how close he was. Why didn't he finish it off? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what you do with him. I don't know what his contract... Actually, he's signed for two more years. Um, okay. But, so I, it, he's going to have every chance that he wants to get to that 3,000 hit mark. It's just a matter of if he commits to it or not. Um, but like, you were, like we were kind of talking about e- earlier... These my some of these milestone chases they get ugly, and mm-hmm. as much as you want to see this, it's gonna be a huge relief when he hits 500, but you don't want to look what it took look at what it took to get there over the past couple <laughs> of years because it's extremely ugly. Yeah, I think um like, I I think you make a good point about it depends where the Tigers are at right now. Obviously, they're in the midst of a of an ugly rebuild as as you kind of hinted at saying it was a 50 year rebuild. Um, that's probably not true. But I think that, uh, you know, it, when you actually look at Miggy as a player and like his presence in the locker room, I'm sure means a lot. Like I'm sure he's giving a ton of valuable advice to these young players. So there's value in that for sure. Like you can afford to have him on the team right now. It's not like it's it's keeping someone who is like a promising up and comer from from coming up really like. I'm sure there is people in the minors and stuff that would like to get their shot at playing in the big leagues, but there's probably more value right now in having Miguel Cabrera on that bench. Also, if you think of it from like a ticket sales perspective, the the Tigers are probably doing, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I'm assuming they're probably doing well over their last little bit here while Miguel Miguel Cabrera tries to reach this 500 milestone because everyone wants to be in attendance for that. People want to be in attendance for these uh, like these milestone games like it's it'd be so cool to say like you know I was at Ichiro's like 3000th hit uh like game like that would be so sick to like have that in your in your back pocket as like something that you saw like I I still think about David Price coming out for the Blue Jays being at his first game that and that is like it pales in comparison to these type of milestones so I think people really value that um, so there is value in it. And if you actually look at, I mean, you mentioned his OPS, like the power has just, is, has gone. He's slugging 375 this season. It was 417 last year, 398 the year before the power has dropped off a cliff, but for league average, like he's still a league average, average hitter. Um, so for the Tigers, like this is, he fits right into the lineup still. Um, so I don't know. But I think it's hard not to look back and compare his stats to his previous stats. Like, even with these few past years dragging him down a little bit, his batting average stands at 311. His slugging percentage is 534. So we are way off that pace. We're about two, we're 200 digits down from his career line, career mark. So I think regardless of if he's hitting that league average pace, he's 
not hitting the way Miguel Cabrera is hitting, basically. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I think I know like what to your point where you're saying that um, people are tuning in. Like you and I are both tuning into every game. It's just when he doesn't. Every time he swings is. I don't know. It doesn't it, look like there's any power in his watch. swing. Like you see him like, miss, you, kind of feel you see bad. him miss the ball. You're like, even if he connected with that, that's not yeah. fucking leaving the yard. Yeah, like this is a guy that hits 300, hitting 246. Like there's not mm-hmm. much value there, and there's no value in his defense. Yeah, and we talked um, about this as well uh, with Albert Pujols, but it's like you you look at someone's like career line, like we were just talking about Joey Votto's career line, and it's like the all every game that he plays right now is bringing down those overall career numbers and his overall career line like you said he's a competitor he he wants to be there to help his team so I think he values that more than his overall numbers and honestly like you can take out these last few years and be like yeah he was just milestone chasing and like look at his prime and be like holy shit like this guy is amazing um but yeah I don't know I think that uh nonetheless he's a future hall of famer it's kind of fun to watch uh, him try to chase this. It'll be cool when he finally gets the monkey off his back. I think that this one, honestly, even though he's 46 away from the 3,000 hit club and nine doubles away from 600, I think this is the hardest one for him to to reach just because of the immense pressure of trying to hit one more home run and just knowing that you barely have any pop, pop left in that yeah. bat. Um, I think it's got to be pretty difficult. So I think once he gets this one off the back, um, hopefully he comes back next season just to try and reach that 3,000 hit club and get those 600 doubles. And then from there, I think you call it a career, honestly. Like um, maybe he has he has one year left on his contract at that point after next season. Um, he could just kind of be that guy that's just a locker room presence. I don't know. I do you think that he'll probably like stay around the game and like be a manager or anything like that, or do you think that he's going to be one of those guys that just takes the David Ortiz route and just kind of is like, you know what? I think I did everything I need to do for baseball. I'm just going to live my life now. I have no idea. I'd love to see him as a manager one day. He's one of those guys that, like, who doesn't love Miguel Cabrera? Mm-hmm. I, I know he was one of your favorite players. He was one of my favorite players. He's one of our grandpa's favorite players. Like, yeah. he was just a, fan, a fantastic player, good representative of the sport, somebody you don't want to lose. Um, also, he's making $30 million this year, so him Yikes. walking away... His next couple years, I'm assuming it's going to be around the same. So for him to just walk away from that, I <laughs> that's got to be. I don't know if that's yeah. That's cash those happen. checks, man. Yeah, cash like, those fucking checks. He's got to. I know you like you have to put yourself before the business. So take your fucking money and just ride it out. That's what I would do. But I don't mm-hmm. know. We'll see. Time yeah. will tell. Well. One more future Hall of Famer news, and it is uh, very mild compared to the the other two we just talked about. Um, Yadier Molina, obviously a future Hall of Fame catcher, one of the best defensive catchers of all time. Um, <laughs> it was kind of funny, Isaac, I think you saw it, but Colton Wong stole a base off of his former teammate, Yadier Molina. He was so hyped to steal second base off of Yachty. And also, it was super close. I think they reviewed it, and uh, he, like, just got in there. Um, it was it was really, really close play, but he did steal the base. Um, so, 
Colton Wong actually picked up the bag like after the inning and brought it into the dugout with him. Like this is something that he cherished. It was basically his 3000th hit ball moment where he just picked up that bag and, you know, walked off the field with it. Um, but he actually went and uh, he had Yachty sign it. Yachty put a little message on there, uh, a little slight jab telling him that he thinks he was out and that it doesn't count, but all good, all in the front of the game. Um, that's just a funny clip. If you want to, if you want to look that up, just look up Colton Wong steals base off of Yadi or Molina because it was worth a laugh. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know Isaac if you want to read off these numbers that I put here, but or like accolades. But Yadi or Molina, uh, as I mentioned, one of the greatest defensive catchers of all time. I want to rip through some of his accomplishments. I mean, I just I want the one thing I want to say is just the forty percent caught ceiling mark. For his career, that's absolutely mm-hmm. insane. That's yeah, right there. You just know you're one of the best defensive catchers. There's very few people, very few catchers that can reach that mark. And I mean, that's for his entire career. His entire career. So he's been consistent to. Um, I I haven't looked year by year, but I would assume it's fairly s- the same. He's, I mean, solid yeah, every year. Anyways, uh, nine-time Gold Glove winner, four times Platinum Glo- Glove winner. Led the league in caught stealing percentage four times. Uh, so league average, touching back on the 40%, the league average for the duration of his career was about 25%. So he's throwing out way more than every other catcher in the league, league, which average. is crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's actually a guy that we're going to talk about very briefly in San Diego that also hovered on the 40% mark, and that alone almost put him on the team. That name is Benito Santiago. Some of you Padres fans may remember that name. Um, but, yeah, th- just it's crazy. There's very few guys that have reached that mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, – yeah, didn't we mention Benito Santiago um, with the Marlins? I think we did. He got he got an honorable mention, I think. We didn't put him on the team. Um, but I think we I think we mentioned him during that podcast so funny to hear his name come up again um but yeah okay let's move on uh that's enough future hall of famer talk it's it's kind of crazy eh? it's like though to think about like uh there's so many of these guys now like you got Votto, uh miguel cabrera albert pujols yadier molina all of these future hall of famers kind of right at the tail end of their career chasing these milestones kind of cool to see it all go down at the same time yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting because there's gonna be quite a gap between these guys leaving. Because for some reason there was like a a window of period where these amazing guys weren't coming into the league at the same pace mm-hmm. they were before, and now we have like the new young guys that seem like the these are the guys that are gonna be reaching those milestones eventually. But right now, like in the midst of the career, there's like the Mike Trouts, but there's not too many Mike Trouts, so we have to cherish. I think these milestones that are upcoming in more recent times because we're not going to see those for about another 10 15 years yeah okay i was saving this for later but i think that the way you just kind of led that in brings up another uh cool thing that i just want to bring up obviously we have fucking beat the shit out of this dead horse with just sucking off shohei otani i absolutely love shohei otani obviously he is like just insane to watch right now he hit his 40th home run this season 
Uh, that's He's the first to 40 in the MLB this year. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero is second. I'm not actually sure exactly what he's at right now. I think 36 maybe. Um, but he hit his 40th home run of the season, his league-leading 40th home run, in a game that he also pitched eight innings, one earned run, eight strikeouts. That's just fucking nuts. And then the next day, I, this was something I wanted to tune into as well. I was like, okay, he pitched last night. He hit his 40th home run. Then there's a day game after the night game. I'm like, there's no way he's in the lineup, right? Nope, leading off. And I think he went like two for four in that game as well. So just absolutely insane uh, to pull up what he's doing. We've discussed this a little bit um, about like, you know, the Hall of Fame or the, the MVP race between him and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's pretty much all it's down to in the American League at this point. But uh, honestly, like Shohei Otani right now, I don't know how you don't have him as your MVP. Here are just, I'm going to rhyme off some of the numbers. Uh, he's batting 269, 40 home runs, 87 RBIs, 18 stolen bases, something that does not get talked about enough. We don't talk about how fast he is. A 1,011 OPS. And then on the pitching side of things, he hasn't really pitched enough innings. I don't think he's pretty much at 100 flat. So he hasn't really pitched enough innings to get into the Cy Young conversation. But nonetheless, if he had pitched a few more innings here, he probably would be in that conversation because in 100 innings, he has 120 strikeouts. He's got a 2.79 ERA, a 106 whip, and he's got an 8-1 record on a team that is pretty shit. So I think that's it's just incredible what Shohei Otani is doing. Um, I mean, I don't think we need to spend too much time talking about it because, I mean, we already have. But I said this in a post on Shape by Sports on Instagram. I said, if if you don't have Shohei Otani as your MVP at this point, you're smoking crack. Like, I, I don't know <laughs> what you're seeing. And I, I love Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but he is just, he's not doing what Shohei is doing. It's just not comparable in my mind. Yeah, this uh... It's no doubt. It's just a funny little note. Um, I don't mean to be like all cynical with the Jays, but your two MVP front runners aren't going to make the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to me that's that's pretty insane. Like you don't hear about that too much. Usually, people that do squeeze squeeze into the playoffs get the slight edge, unless you're Mike Trout. Actually, you know what? It's just a history of the Angels. They just let out these fucking MVP caliber seasons with these guys, and then. They don't even make the playoffs. They don't even threaten the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Um, also, I don't think you should write off the Blue Jays yet. I mean, I, I kind of have a little bit, but I think that they're, they're still four and a half games back from All right. a wild well, card spot. It, that's still, that's still, they're, they're still within reach. Still if we're going to talk about that, the past two weeks they had the easiest schedule in the MLB, and they still they are on the losing it. side. And yeah. fucking barely squeezing out games against Detroit. Shout out Brad Hand for being horrible. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I think the we have to give a little bit more credit because people are going to get pissed off at the end of the season because Atkins didn't put them in the playoffs. But uh, they uh, Sportsnet put up a stat the other a stat the other day that showed their off season acquisitions um, like George Springer, Simeon, uh, who else? There's a few guys. Uh, Robbie Ray also because he was a free agent mm-hmm. again he re-signed there's one other guy but their seasons Steven have Matz. been fuck Steven Matz their <laughs> seasons have been incredible 
those three especially have been absolutely incredible. And then he, they went out and got a few guys, Burrios, um, I mean, Brad Hand, we knew what we were getting, but we didn't think we were getting this this bad Brad Hand. Um, but anyways, they did a great job putting this team together uh, for a season where we didn't really think that they really had a true shot. But mm-hmm. yeah, anyways, back on track away from the Blue Jays talk. Yeah. I don't know. I think that it's, it is disappointing to see, like, you know, these guys have MVP caliber seasons and, and not make the playoffs. We've been talking about this with Mike Trout forever. Um, but I don't think it takes away at all. If anything, it adds to how incredible it's been. You see a lot of the time people on, on teams that aren't as successful uh, have down years because they, it's just hard. If the vibe in the clubhouse is shitty, it's kind of hard to keep your mentality focused and keep going out there trying to, you know, play your best every day when you, you have you you know that it, even if you put your best effort in, a lot of the time you're going to lose. So I think it, if anything, it, it makes it more impressive that they're putting up these crazy ass numbers. Um, but yeah, I think the Blue Jays are a weird team. Right, yeah, let's not actually let's not get into this. We, we talk too much about them on this podcast. Um, let's move over though to a, a former Blue Jay GM. Uh, who is now running the Atlanta Braves uh, roster, basically. Um, the Braves infield right now is chasing history. I don't know if you're aware of what's going on with this uh, Braves infield, Isaac, but they are on pace, pretty much. They could become the only team in history to have all four of their out- infielders, not including catcher, uh, hit 30 home runs in one season that's it's never been done before where all four of your infield spots have given you 30 home runs each and they're actually on a pace right now where it could happen um the only person so right now their uh, their infield consists of Dansby Swanson at shortstop uh Austin Riley as a third baseman uh Ozzy Albies is their second baseman and then obviously they got Freddie Freeman at first base all of those players right now are on pace to hit 30 home runs, except for Albies, who is slightly lagging. He's on pace to hit 29. So it's definitely still very possible, and I think it'll it'll come close here at the end. That would be a really, really cool, like, underrated kind of uh, stat that I think would, would be um, interesting to note. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is definitely cool. I wasn't aware of this until you actually brought it up. Um... I don't think it's going to happen because <laughs> that, that's just like, that's a huge stretch. I've, this never happened in MLB history. And I just, I don't get struck by Dansby Swanson, Ozzy Albies, or even Austin Riley as just, I mean, maybe Austin Riley I'll take out, but those two guys to just also hit 30 home runs besides those corners. Like, it, it, I don't know. Ozzy Albies isn't striking me as a 30 home run guy this year. But you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll talk. We we should keep that in mind. We should keep watching it, monitoring it, and keep talking about it, um, and follow it closely. Because I think this is a super interesting chase that I don't know. We've never seen it. So I mean, they, yeah, they they are pretty much a lock as well uh, to tie a record that was set by the 2008 Marlins, who had all four of their infielders hit 25 home runs. Uh, that was Dan Ugla, uh, Hanley Ramirez. Uh, what the fuck is that guy's first name? Jorge Cantu, I think. Um, and Mike Jacobs 
all hit 25 home runs in 2008. They're pretty much a lock at this point to do that, I would say, uh, barring any injury setbacks, I think. Dansby Swanson is one away. He's at 24. Uh, Austin Riley and Freddie Freeman have both already surpassed the 25 home run mark. They're both at 27. And then Ozzie Albies is only three away. He's at 22 right now. So they're definitely uh, almost a lock, I would say, to to tie that record. And I think that that's a... That, that in itself is, is pretty interesting that only one other team has ever done that. That seems uh, pretty wild to me. And I was right. His the, the guy's name who I thought I was messing up is Jorge Cantu. So, um, Good job. Good name yeah. association. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of crazy when you, when you think about um, this infield, how successful they've been. And then you look at the outfield um, – that was probably more highly anticipated coming into the season. Obviously, they had Ronald Acuna Jr. and Marcelo Zuna. They lost both of those guys for very different reasons. Um, but they then go out and basically acquire a whole new outfield. And the outfield is just playing second fiddle, basically, to what this uh, infield is doing, carrying their team. Um, Braves, obviously have reclaimed their division lead and I think that they're kind of poised now to just uh, run away with it they just got Yosker you know back um, so that's that's probably a big uh, acquisition for their starting rotation as well um, but yeah just a cool little tidbit there um, talking about a couple other guys coming back from injury and a team that desperately needs them the Boston Red Sox who have been scuffling of as of late, have gotten their two biggest uh, deadline acquisitions. Um, those deadline acquisitions being people uh, that were already on their team, obviously being, that being Chris Sale, and then Kyle Schwarber, who they picked up at the deadline but was injured um, and just recently came back. Um, I kind of thought that this would have a bigger impact on the team. They haven't been... The, the two guys have had a big impact, but the team still hasn't been uh, doing that well. Um, Chris Sale, through his first two starts, has pitched 10 innings, only given up two runs, struck out a bunch of people. Um, he's been he's looked very solid. This is on a return from Tommy John, so um, this is someone that, you know, potentially when he's at his best is like a top 10 starter in the league. So obviously huge to have him back, and it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back. Um, just a, a really fun pitcher to watch he's got a funky delivery from the left side um nasty slider just a just a a good pitcher overall um Kyle Schwarber has also been good in his Red Sox debut he's six for 16 with two doubles and five walks um I don't know where do you do you think that this like really helps them make their playoff push or do you like where do you see the Red Sox basically at this point in terms of the postseason hunt like is this going to be enough to move the needle, or is the way they're trending right now kind of what you expect rest of season? I think they finished third in the AL East, and I think they just miss out on that second wild card spot. Um, it's hard for me to even think that the Yankees will lose their spot to Boston. The Yankees lineup is absolutely insane. Their bullpen, I mean, 
the bullpen is their bullpen. Even when guys drop, you have a guy to fill in. Um, and then Garrett Cole leading the charge. It's hard for me to think that they'll lose their spot. And Oakland, I'm just like, honestly, Oakland's like always just a quiet lock now. And in that mm-hmm. wild card spot, they just seem to play for the wild card games, and then they lose in the wild card games, or the LDS, whatever. Um, so I, they'll make the. Pl- I think I, I think Red Sox could make a push, but I don't think they'll overtake anybody here. Um, I, as much as it's a huge name to get Chris Hill back, and Kyle Schwarber is a a good player, good not great player. Um, I don't think they, just push the needle. I don't think they're going to be the game changers here. I think they're going to middle out here. Like what do you what do you actually think though? Well, I me and you both picked the Rays to win the AL East. Um I still see that happening, but I They've run I away do with see, it. I I do see the Yankees uh potentially threatening that as well. I do think that their starting rotation is still a little bit in question. Obviously Garrett Cole is solid, you know what you're getting with him. Um, I just want to give a little shout out to Nestor Cortez Jr., who has been dealing for the Yankees and has been super under the radar. Uh, so far this season, he's got a 2.56 ERA and a 107 whip. Um, he's had some big starts lately, uh, picked up some wins. Um, but yeah, I, I think that he's been a nice little addition to that rotation. Jamison Tyon has actually uh, pitched pretty well as of late. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I still think the Rays will probably take the division. Yankees second in my book. Um, and then I kind of think that it's it'll well it'll obviously either be the Red Sox or the Jays for third place because the Orioles aren't contending at all. Um, I optimistically want to say that I see the Red or the Jays overtaking the Red Sox, but um, I don't know. I think it'll kind of be a battle for third place um, and. But I'm not sure that either of those at this point. I'm exactly. I'm not sure that either of those teams end up making the wild card, like snagging a wild card spot, anyways. Over Oakland, um, so yeah. With the, with the Yankees, though, what they did at the deadline is pretty incredible. They were just like, all right, well, our best defense is just adding to our offense, where they mm-hmm. have eight guys in this lineup. Because I'm assuming they still put out Gardner, and he's a pitcher, essentially batting. Um, no offense to Gardner, but he shouldn't be in the big leagues. I, to be honest, I maybe he should. I just hate him because he's just the pure, pure. Yeah, he's, Yankee, a, he's the epitome the of Yankees. Yankee. Yeah, just for sure. All bald. He took their beard a step further. There's no hair on his head. Absolutely nothing. Next thing you know, he's not gonna have any eyebrows or eyelashes. He's gonna take them <laughs> off, go even further. But yeah, anyways, they have eight guys in that lineup that could just take you deep, any pitch. And it's not fair that they also have little league dimensions. Yeah. I mean, Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo, uh, pretty big pickups. I still am weirded out a little bit about the Rizzo pickup. Obviously, Rizzo's been good since he went to the Yankees, but you have Luke Voigt at first base, and I feel bad for Luke Voigt. I'm like, this guy should be a (laughs) fucking starter, and he's pissed off. Yeah, like that Anthony Rizzo came in and has essentially taken away this first base job. Um, The team has said that Anthony Rizzo is their starting baseman, and Luke Voigt is like, what the hell? Like, this doesn't seem fair. Like, look at what I've done for the team in, like, just recency bias. Like, last year, uh, he led the 2020 season or whatever in home runs. Shortened season, obviously, Mickey Mouse. Um, but he's been, like, 
injured. He's been fighting injuries. He's finally back and healthy and ready to contribute. And he has been contributing. He's actually been like on fire since he came off the injured list. So really giving um, the Yankees some questions. Like if he had just gone quietly. So this is his last in his last uh, four games since he's been back. He's got two home runs. 9, 10, 10 RBIs, uh, 2 for 4, 4 for 5, 1 for 4, 1 for 3. Like, just putting up good numbers every night, every time that he's they put him in the lineup. Um, they've had to shift their defensive alignment around to try and fit him in. So they've kind of given themselves, like, I guess a good problem to have with having two good first basemen. Um, they, they moved Aaron Judge to center field. They had uh, Giancarlo Stanton playing in the outfield um and then like they had to put either they have to put Voigt or Rizzo um at first base and then obviously they have Gallo in uh right field so their outfield is is kind of weird like um obviously Aaron Judge is a good right fielder but he hasn't played a lot of center field in his career um and then Giancarlo Stanton just being kind of the injury prone player that he is having to run him out there in the outfield um, kind of opens up some potential issues for him, but it's kind of what they have to do at this point if they want to get their best lineup out there every day. Yeah. I, mean, I, it, I think uh, Stanton in the outfield isn't a huge concern of mine because if he even, if he gets injured, I mean, he's replaceable. Yeah. Is, is That's a crazy thing to say that John Carlos Stanton is replaceable in this mm-hmm. lineup. Um, and also Glaber Torres, who's, we say a lot about him. He's uh, the biggest underachiever. He had, was the biggest prospect for the Yankees, and he's turned out to be shit, but he's on the IL, and who knows? Maybe he'll come back and actually turn things around, too. There's a lot of... There's just, just an arsenal of players on this team that every team in the playoffs should be scared of. If they if they catch that wild, wild card number two spot, I'm won't be shocked if they make a World Series mm-hmm. run. This uh, another uh, just interesting thing about the Yankees. I don't know if you've been tuning in about this, but uh, Andrew Velasquez has kind of come out of uh, like to fill in that Glaber Torres role, and he's been pretty good. Um, but mostly the the biggest thing about him is that he's actually uh, a kid from the Bronx. He hit a home run at Yankee Stadium. That was kind of a big deal. So there's a lot of like energy around him being a local guy and uh, getting a shot right now to play for his his hometown team. That's kind of cool to see, I think, as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll see We'll see how this AL East uh, shapes up. I want to briefly touch on uh, <laughs> the only team in the AL East that is not in the hunt right now, and that is the Baltimore Orioles. They have a bit of news coming from their camp, that being that Crush Davis a.k.a., well, I guess his name is Chris Davis, a.k.a. Crush Davis, um, <laughs> has officially announced his retirement. Obviously, Isaac, like, I don't know if you, maybe you want to pull up his uh, his career numbers right now, um, but he basically is a guy that had, like, a couple moments for the Orioles team and earned himself a massive contract. So in 2013... He led the league in home runs with 53, led the league in RBIs with 138, and total bases with 370. He had a 
at 286, 370, 634 slash line, which gives you a, a 1,000 OPS, basically clean. Um, he was an all-star silver slugger and finished third in MVP voting that season. That earned him a big contract uh, with the team. He also hit uh, 47 home runs with the Orioles in 2015. Um, he had two other 30-plus homer seasons in his career. Uh yeah, so like I said, definitely had a moment with the O's. I don't even know if I said this. He's he's retiring, um, but still, I did. Okay, good. I was thinking I got into all of those stats without actually mentioning the fact that he, <laughs> he retired, which is basically the whole point. Um, interestingly enough, though, even though he is retired, he is still owed a shit ton of money um, and for quite a long time. Basically, the O's are going to be – it's like the Bobby Bonilla – uh, treatment here with the Mets pretty much where even though he's retired he had like a backloaded contract or whatever that still sees him making money off of the Orioles <laughs> until 2037 so I have the contract bre- I have the contract <laughs> breakdown here for you so uh, 2022 he's owed 23 million dollars uh, 23 2023 to 2025 oh my god this this friggin' twenties is hard to say, so I'll just say it by the the last digits because everyone knows we're in the two thousands. At twenty three to twenty five, he's owed nine point sixteen million. Uh, twenty twenty six to thirty two, he's owed three point five million. Thirty three to thirty seven, he's owed one point four. In total, he is owed sixty five million dollars by the Orioles. So they're gonna have to come out of pocket. It's a nice little pension yeah, plan for real. A nice little pension plan, uh, despite the fact that, you know, he is no longer going to be contributing to that team. Uh, what do you make of Chris Davis's career and, you know, his retirement now? Uh, there's talks about steroids, but um, maybe not with him because he didn't actually, I don't think he ever tested positive. But I think he had an Adderall-driven career where he had a success from Adderall. Um, there was, that was a pretty big thing a few years ago where he got suspended for using it multiple times. Um, and obviously, like, it is a, it is a performance enhancer. Um, I don't know. I, is this crazy? I have never seen somebody fall off a cliff that hard, like that hard after receiving a massive contract. Uh, there is obviously something going on. You don't just hit 53 home runs and bat 286 and then bat 196 and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Something something happened in those years and it was we can't even blame injuries because the last half of his career after well after in 2013 since then he played like over 130 games until they the Orioles said fuck you you can't mm-hmm. play. Um so it's not like a health it was any health issues there. Um I don't know. It's it's crazy. I remember he used to be everybody loved him for a bit because he was incredible, just slugging. He was and a very feared know, hitter yeah, for I, sure. That was yeah. no doubt about that. And then he became like a fucking meme. Yeah. So so from 2016, yeah. I'll just I just pulled up his stats from 2016, which is re- really where the fall off started. Despite the fact that in 2016 he actually hit uh, 38 home runs, he still uh, had a 221 batting average and a 792 OPS. They were basically just running him out there every day, and every now and then he'd run into one. But he was doing, he was giving you nothing outside of uh, home runs, essentially. Um, 
but from 2016 to 2020, uh, he has a 196 batting average, a 291 on base, 379 slug, and a 670 OPS. His OPS plus at a measly 80. Um, yeah, it it was a real bad fall off for Chris Davis, and like we said, he's still owed like 65 million dollars. So, um, I mean, congrats to him for earning himself that money. I'm never mad at anybody for for getting a bag. So. Uh, congrats on your pension plan, um, and congrats on your hot moment you had as an Oriole, as well. Um, whether it be driven by Adderall or um, not, that's uh, that's some shades of Aubrey Huff right there. I think uh, he he had some Adderall improved uh, seasons as well. So, can I just uh, say he had a relatively healthy season, like his 2018 season? I know you touched on it, but his OPS plus was 49. Oh so it wasn't that he was just a below-average player. He was, if you put a little league hitter out there, I bet he could have a higher OPS. Isaac, plus. how is this even possible? Hold on, how is this even possible? In 2020, the shortened season, obviously, he only played 16 games. Look oh at his OPS God. plus. <laughs> he has a negative seven. Just so we know, it's the average is a hundred. Yeah. I didn't even think you. I I don't know how you get negative numbers so you were a hundred and seven percent below average yeah has this happened in the in the entirety of i mean it's only a 16 game sample size baseball? so i'm sure if you really dove into it I you could care. probably pull up people that have had uh, a, a, <laughs> a horrible span in that as well but dear god that's so that's the last that's all i'm saying is that's the last contribution that he gave to the Orioles was in 2020. <laughs> he gave him a negative seven OPS plus. Um, and his his oh OPS 337 is probably one of the lowest I've ever seen in my entire life as well. Um, that's fucked up. Slugging percentage of 173. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, but maybe we should move on from him. It's getting depressing. Kind of yeah. feel bad. <laughs> All right. No, don't feel bad for but him, he's man. He's, he's, bag, got the, so. he's got the he's biggest bag imaginable for, for not doing anything. It's like the the biggest uh, for like employment the worst insurance ever. Um, that's uh, that's unemployment for you Americans that don't know what EI is in Canada. Um, anyways, uh, let's talk about some more home runs. Uh, the Giants are still leading the league in home runs, and yet they don't have a single player who has hit more than twenty. So I, um, I just think yeah. that's an interesting little tidbit there. Um, they're they're two highest are Yaz, uh, Mikey Stremski, and Brandon Crawford, who are both sitting at 19 home runs. Then they have four players around 15. Three more come in with like 10-plus. Basically, they're just getting this from multiple contributors. It's like a full-team effort. Um, what do you make of, of the Giants' home runs? Well, first, I want to point out that this doesn't include Chris Bryant, who is sitting at 22 home runs. Because he didn't hit his home runs, most of his Fair. home runs there. Um, I'm I'm convinced that somebody's like peppering in a fake home run here and there because I have never seen this before. Everyone's just chilling at ten, just barely over ten, between ten and twenty, and the fr- in a home run era, a team that doesn't have a guy over twenty is leading the league in home runs. When you have Shohei Otani, who's fucking blowing the cover off the ball the blue jays have a whole lot of sluggers and 
I, I'm just I'm I'm confused how this even makes sense. Do you do you think that but this this cool. makes it more sustainable or less sustainable? The fact that they're getting contributions from all of these players, or like, do you think if it was just if it comes from a couple big sources, is that less sustainable than it coming from the entire team? I don't know if this is like consistent top to bottom where everyone's just like chipping in throughout each game. I think this is a more fearful, fearful lineup than guys that have like one, two punches because then you'll pitch around them and walk them and then the bottom mm-hmm. half of the order won't be contributing as much. It's not like you you have to challenge each guy on this roster. You can't just walk Brandon Crawford because you're going to face somebody that hits equally mm-hmm. well. Um, I think it works in their favor. It's a, it's a weird style yeah. of baseball that this is happening because this is a full team effort and they don't really have a star. I mean, Kevin Gosman mm. is the unlikely superhero of this team. Um, Chris Bryant, obviously, is now their superstar. Yeah. But he's been amazing this since team he's been there, was, This team was in first place before Chris Bryant, so that's I, I don't want to include him in it just because of that. But, yeah, Kevin Gosman was a superhero of this damn team. And then Brandon Crawford, a guy that's been around I love for Brandon a while, Crawford too. who we know has a, a solid defensive mm-hmm. presence, but... Like leading a charge offensively is not something we'd ever expect yeah. from him. I'm a big fan of like some of the players on this team as well. Um, so don't get me wrong. Like even though we've been doubting them all season, I'm very happy to see this performance out of mm-hmm. them because I love Brandon Crawford. I've always thought like I love guys that can make like make a career out of just being amazing defensive players. Brandon Crawford is that guy. He's about as steady as a shortstop can come. Um, just a fierce competitor. Obviously, Evan Longoria, I'm a big fan of as well. Um, now they have Chris Bryant. Uh, I like, like I said, I'm, I'm happy to see him in a different setting. Uh, Kevin Gosman, it's been cool to see him uh, do well. Buster Posey, oh my God, man. Talk about a fucking throwback. Someone that we hadn't really thought much about over the last couple seasons, having a comeback. And uh, like, he's probably a future Hall of Famer as well. You know, like, it's just. Uh, it's it's crazy. Um, I'm happy for the Giants. I'm happy for their fan base, um, and I mean we'll see how it shapes up. The the Dodgers though coming for that ass. They're hot on their tail right now. Dodgers are nine and one in their last ten. Only a game and a half back from catching the Giants for the division lead. Now the Giants have still been playing solid baseball. They're seven and three in their last ten, um, but you know Dodgers are hot as hell right now and uh and coming from them it's probably impossible that the giants don't make the playoffs at this point um especially if they just continue to play good baseball but they're probably gonna they might have to come in on a wild card depending on uh how this chase goes with the dodgers you know what this is kind of reminding me of what i think it's 2015 is yeah the 2015 kansas city royals Mm -hmm. this is just a full team effort they don't have like a true superstar and they're just the full team effort is just grinding all the way through the. It's a good comp. I it, it's so hard to like look at them as a World Series caliber team when you have in that same division you have Tatis being Tatis, and then you have the Dodgers who are literally an All Star team. You could put them on the field against the AL All Stars and they actually have a chance of winning. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. fucked up, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. We should talk about the Padres a little bit. They've been fucking shit in the bed. Um, I actually need to pull up what what are they now? Because they just won last night. Uh, when I wrote down this note, they were two and eight in their last 
10, but now they are, uh, nope, they're still 2-8 and eight in their last 10, even with the win uh, last night. So they've been struggling. Um, even with having Tatis back, I think the real problem for them right now is they have no starting pitching, basically. Like, that, all of their, the guys that they went out and got are injured. They have fucking Jake Arrieta going out there and trying to get outs for them. That's not gonna. That's not gonna work. Like, um, they're just kind of in trouble. Um, they're now one game back from the wild card, I believe. Uh, oh no, they're not actually. Let's see the wild card race right now. They are tied. So Cincinnati and uh, the Padres are actually tied for the second wild card spot in the National League right now. Um, obviously, the the Reds have been coming on strong. They're seven and three in their last ten, and have just been looking a lot better. They have a lot better energy going on in Cincinnati than in San Diego right now. But um, I know I, I shared it on Shape by Sports. But Jake Cronenworth had a huge home run last night. Aaron Nola had a no hitter going into the seventh inning, um, and then Machado I think tied it up uh, with a single or a double or something like that um, in the seventh, and then. They, they got the lead back. It was 3-1 uh, Phillies. And in the bottom of the ninth inning, with two outs, Jake Cronenworth comes up and hits a two-run home run off of Nola, who was chasing the complete game. Um, then they would, like, the, the Padres would go on to, to walk it off on a wild pitch in extra innings. But I think that that could potentially be a bit of a momentum shift here for them. They'd... They'd been really struggling, it seemed, to find uh, that energy that they had early in the season and that we saw, uh, you know, last year from them. So it'll be interesting to see if this is kind of a turning point in their season and if if they can turn things on and hang on to a wild card spot. Mm. What do you think right now? Are you taking, if, if you have to pick between the Reds and the Padres, who are you taking? I want to pick the Padres. Um, but we've been waiting on the Cincinnati team mm-hmm. for a while. Uh, they're due. Nick Cassianos is finally putting everything together. Joey Votto. So I want to see Joey vintage Joey Votto in the playoffs one more time. Aside from that clunker from Luis Castillo, he's level. been he's been a lot better in the last uh, month or two uh, than he was early in the season. Yeah. Yeah. Like I. <sighs> I don't know. I want to see both these teams in the playoffs. Yeah, me too. I mean, if there is a way to knock off San Francisco because their brand of baseball is a little boring, um, put the Dodgers to win the AL, NL West and then the, these two teams battling it out in the wild card, that would be mm-hmm. ideal. But if it's one or the other right now, I don't know. I, I'm i going to go with San Diego. Wishful thinking. I'm going to go Reds just because I... I took the Reds um, to win their division, I believe. Uh, that's probably not going to happen. Milwaukee has a solid lead right now. Um, but I don't I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Reds are seven and a half games back from Milwaukee right now. Milwaukee's been playing good baseball. They got a couple good acquisitions at the deadline. Um, I'm not sure I see them choking that lead. Uh, so I think the, the Reds will have to come in on a wild card. You picked the, the Brewers to win the NL Central, am I right? Yeah. There you go. I did. 
I did. They're my team. They're that also under the radar team, but super dominant. Um, this is a team that's a defense can win a championship mm-hmm. in that. Yep. So we'll see. We will. It'll be it'll be Shall very interesting. On? Yeah. Let's let's move on. Um, okay. Well, I I kind of just talked about the Phillies. I don't know if we really need to talk about them. They they had a, a division lead for like what an, an hour and a half, and then they fucking lost it. Um, they're now four and a half games back from Atlanta, who is nine and one in their last ten. Um, yeah, they they just keep finding ways to lose. Um, I I don't think that they're a playoff team. They were they were hot because of uh, a really good performance, basically from like a, a big power surge from Bryce Harper. Uh, that's kind of cooled off. So uh, I don't know. I think they were kind of a one trick pony. I don't see them making a push here anymore, and I kind of see Atlanta running away with the division. Um, yeah, I can't wait till we do our recap of our division. I was actually, dude, I was actually rate. doing this last night, and I'm not doing that bad. I had Tampa, Chicago, and Houston winning the AL divisions. That's all in line right now. Yeah. Um, and then in the NL East, I had the Mets, so that's a bad look. Um, and then I had the Reds, who are in second, and I had the Dodgers, who are in second. Dodgers could still make it. You're three for six. I'm three right for now. six right now, but I could end up. I okay, could end up well, for sure four for six if the Dodgers take it. That's not that bad. You're you're taking six. Well, right now you're at fifty percent. I'm not doing too bad. <laughs> I barely get a passing grade. If we're in college, you're you're an academic probation right now. Um, hey man, I made it my whole life. I mean, at 50%. Dodgers are going to overtake. As soon as Dodgers overtake, I'm going to be a hundred percent because I have Atlanta and I have Milwaukee. Hundred percent. You picked, you there picked you with your brain. I we we with need awards. Heart. That's the problem. Milwaukee was the biggest heart pick. That was a flyer was when it? I picked them. Okay. It was. Fu- it was sure. all Brandon Woodruff. Based. I guess Cincinnati was actually I wanted kind to of a go safer pick. Watch every five. Looking games. at Cincinnati's roster preseason, um, I think they were probably. You could probably yeah. call them the favorite in that division. I completely didn't. I definitely did not look at Milwaukee's offense because if I had looked at that logically, I would have been like, no. Like, there's no way. they At this point, they didn't even have Adamus. I mean, they have Telez mm-hmm. starting and shit now. And they didn't even have him before. They had Vogel back. They didn't have a shortstop. I mean, Keston Hira, people wanted to be good, but he doesn't have a yeah, real Yeah, Willie Adamus has been big for that team. I think it's actually... Colton if you, if you look at the Mets, charge. though, like I feel like I could defend all my picks right now. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's not do that right <laughs> now. Let's let's save this for our actual recap where you end up being 50%. No, no, no. I'm going to be, I'm gonna be how your picks four for good. six. I think the Dodgers are going to take over the Giants okay. here down the stretch. Yeah, no. That, okay. I agree. So I think – I want to know where Greg's picks are. We need him to and tell also, us his because I know all I – all I remember is he picked the Nats. If, if all of my picks at least make the playoffs, <laughs> that's a better look too, right? Like, even if Cincinnati doesn't... No. No, there's no <gasps> making up for it. If you're three for six or four for six, you're four for six. I don't fucking care about your wildcard teams. We didn't pick those teams to you're win the hater. division. Let me defend so. myself, okay? I'm trying to look like an expert on the no. podcast, okay? No, let you get 50%, and then you can still <laughs> okay, defend well, yourself. Okay, well, Greg, Greg is going to be under that, so at least uh, I don't think I'll be losing on this team. Actually, Greg, let's let's check on Greg's right now. Uh, he picked the Yankees. <laughs> They're in second place. Not, Not going to win. win over Tampa, we don't think. Uh, that was a hard yeah. pick too. But I mean, it's a fair. It's a good pick. He, he picked the White Sox in Houston. Um, that's okay. Those those are in line, obviously. 
Um, I'm pretty sure he picked, yeah, he picked Washington to win the NL East. They're in second last. That's not going to fucking happen. Um, <laughs> he picked St. Louis to win the Central. Mm. Where are they? They are 12 games know? back from the lead. Not going to happen. Um, <laughs> and honestly, just kind of an underwhelming team. If you if you ask me, yeah, um, yeah, we don't. Let's not even talk about them. What's their what's his last his one? last one? Um, I think he picked the Dodgers as well. That was the safe pick that we all yeah. all three of us took the How Dodgers. How could you not? So none of us would have. The only consideration we probably would have had was San Diego. I don't think we were talking. Anyone was talking about the Giants, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. Should we keep moving on from that yeah. then? I think that was a we good standing recap, about though. I think it's it's been crazy to months. see. There's, it's just been flipping ever since the all-star break man it's just been flip-flopping there's been so much movement it's been a very very exciting second half we previewed it that way too that it was gonna it was gonna what's, be a good what's stretch flip-flopped only the nl east has flip-flopped the nl central has, has moved around too and uh, had a battle milwaukee's been at top for like yeah but not months. by not by the the lead that they have now i don't think um and oh. and with cincinnati, cincinnati coming on strong comfortable uh yeah, the True. NL East obviously has has had a lot of turnover. Wouldn't flip flopping mean it's changing? Yeah. Okay. Even the even the AL <sighs> East. To get all technical, I don't think Tampa but... was Tampa wasn't in first going what? into the All Star break, were they? No, yeah. I think Boston was, weren't I'm they? Like eighty percent sure. No, I thought Tampa Bay had been running away with it. No one's even talking about them getting overtaken by the Yankees or the. Dude, Red I'm pretty Sox. sure that Boston was leading. I, we'd have to look that up. I think okay. Boston had the division yeah. lead going into the All-Star break. Okay, let me see. Um, All-Star break standings. Okay. Um, while you look that up, let's talk briefly about uh, the Dodger City Connects. I'll give my thoughts while, while you're searching. Um, obviously, we've seen the, the City Connect unis for multiple teams this year. Just a couple that come to mind. San Francisco, um, the Diamondbacks. And uh, what was the other one I was just thinking of? Diego, you're smarter than me. Um, AL East, the Rays were one and a half back yeah. of Boston. Yeah, I was pretty sure that Boston uh, had the had the lead going into the All Star break. The Brewers were four up on Cincinnati at mm-hmm. that point. Yep. I just wanted to say also, sorry to keep going back to the standings here. I ha- I was having a conversation with someone last night uh, on Instagram, and we were talking about how. Washington, when they won the, um, they had one of the worst yeah, starts they, ever. They were under 500 uh, going into the All Star break, and they ended up coming on so hot in the second half that they ended up winning the World Series. Um, I, I I was just talking about how I'm still kind of annoyed that Washington sold off the farm the way that they did, especially knowing that that happened to them. Um, beforehand like they were they were playing good baseball going into the all-star break and then you know they became sellers pretty quickly um so i was disappointed to see the nats uh you know fuck up and like get rid of them but they it was they even like going into the all-star break since it was below 500 um but i think it was april they had like historically the worst start to a season in which a team had won the world series Mm -hmm. So I forget what they were. They were like 15 and 30 or some shit to start the season. But they had like a 25% win rate. That sucks. Win loss. Um, So, yeah. But I I don't know. I kind of like now that they're not even in considerations because now this is is literally Juan Soda's franchise. 
Um, I'm, I think it's going to be a quick rebuild for them, though, too, with the acquisitions that they picked up through the Dodgers. I think they could have. I think so, they had enough pieces in place to make themselves contenders. Like, I, I don't know. That division's too competitive. I guess. Anyways, let's, right, yeah, let's, let's move, move on. on. Um, Dodgers City Connects. Isaac, what do you think of them? There we go. I love them. And I think everybody... I think people are just fucking boring. Because every poll you put out with jerseys, they all hate them. How do you hate uh, Miami's? Those jerseys are pretty yeah, sick. Are cool. I get a couple of them, but honestly, everyone's boring. They hated the Guardians. They hated everything. It's so easy to just fucking hate every jersey or every branding that comes out. Everyone's like, no, I don't like this. Why not? To be fair, I think the general consensus on some of them was... like. For the White Sox, I think pretty much everyone thought those were sick. Um, I think most people were on board with the Miami ones. Uh, Boston, most people didn't like. It was kind of hard to like them. They're... No, no, no. If you go back to the poll on the Miami ones, really? it wasn't good. Huh. Yeah. Boston was kind of understandable. Like, the yellow and blue did not look good. I liked kind of what it signified and stuff, but, um, yeah, I don't think the general consensus was too good on those. They weren't the they weren't great-looking uniforms. Um I would assume that the Diamondbacks got, like, a pretty good look. Like, they were Los, Los Serpientes or whatever. Uh, and the, kind of the cream-colored jerseys. They, they were cool. They weren't, they weren't like, anything flashy, so I don't know if people could get too mad at them. Wrigleyville people fucking hated when the jerseys came out, I think. But then once the entire uniform came out and was put together, I think that people probably changed their mind a little bit. So... It's been kind of different uh, from team to team. Oh, also the Giants. I don't know if we ever even talked about the Giants uh, City Connect jerseys. I didn't like those ones. They've been wearing them a lot lately. What did you think of the Giants ones? I don't even they, remember them. They were like white and mind, like... Uh, orange. They had like oh, the fog yeah, on the yeah, sleeves. Oh, yeah, okay. No, I don't like them. I don't yeah, like the I didn't like it either. I thought that the way they kind of made the numbers and like the, That's the logo orange. like have, the, have the, um, the fog on it just makes it look like half a logo. Um yeah, I did not. I did not I like those the ones. I get the fog because they get fires every day. <laughs> All right, man. Um, but the Dodgers, the Dodger blue though. Um, I like the uniforms. I kind of thought it was a bold move and cool to see the Dodgers have such a change in their uniform. So I kind of commend them for that. I like the idea of having the all blue unis. I like that the the way that the all blue unis actually looked. The only thing I had a problem with in these City Connect jerseys really was the fact that they had Los Dodgers on the jersey and on the hat. I think they needed to do better on yeah. the hat. Like, I think it looks stupid when you have the same logo on the jersey as you have on the hat. I think you have to kind of have a switch. If you're going to have the lettering on the jersey, you got to put an actual logo on the cap. So that's my only problem I had yeah. with those jerseys. I agree. I agree with um, that. <laughs> the one thing I did see, though, was someone said that uh, they kind of look like everyone's Diamond Dynasty jerseys in MLB The Show, and now I can't unsee it because so <laughs> many of them, if you actually have ever played MLB The Show, um, the obviously the baseball game uh, for like PlayStation and Xbox, if you're not familiar, if you're an older listener that isn't into gaming. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot we do have some old yeah. people, don't we? Shout out, shout out our dad. Shout again. Out, shout Probably shout out Mikey, um, and he loves it. Uh, but basically a lot of the people in, in Diamond Dynasty just kind of throw together a jersey that's like one solid color. Um, so I, I, it's kind of hard to unsee that now 
Uh, another thing that the broadcasters were talking about in the blue unis too was Trey Turner, uh, like had a, a messy night on the base paths, like sliding around and shit. And apparently the dirt on like the blue pants and the blue uniform just did not look good at all. It just kind of looked uh, like, <laughs> I think they kept calling it soiled was how they, they described They oh. described the, uh, <laughs> the uniform when it was dirty. And, you know, there's something about like on the gray or the white jerseys, like when you get the dirt on it, it just kind of makes you look like that dirt bag, like uh, type of player that is hard nosed and dives, but it just didn't translate to the blue uniforms. But overall, <laughs> I think that they're getting a lot of criticism that's kind of unwarranted outside of the hat. To me, I actually kind of like these unis. So that's pretty much all I got to say about that. Alrighty. I know Greg has uh, has some more takes on that and maybe he'll, he will let us know on on tuesday what he thinks about the dodger city connects but until then and i'm sure with that i'm sure with that it'll lead into some yankees pinstripes conversations oh Oh, yeah that was the other big one those are the three debates we had to have right it was babe ruth yankee pinstripes and uh barry bonds hall of fame so yeah it'll be fun all right so that moves us into our all-time san diego padres team took a break from doing the all-time teams last week so i'm excited to get back at her um yeah san diego padres here's a brief intro brought to you by jacob coates and wikipedia founded in 1969 <laughs> the club has won two national league pennants both came in 1984 and 1998 uh they lost in the world series both of those years um they do not have a world series title to this day um as of 2020 they have had 15 winning seasons in franchise history uh only them and the angels actually originated in california the other three teams in california relocated from outside of the state thought that was kind of a fun fact fun um, fact with the chart another fun fact here for you isaac with the chargers relocating uh they are now the only mlb team without a team from the other big four north american sports in town Thought that was kind of cool. Wait, what? So, so hold on, hold on, hold on, hold every, on. Every every major league baseball team uh, that like has a what are you what are you smiling about? That has an MLB team also has. Four, they have one of the four. four. Wait, it's only a one. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. So like, for <laughs> okay. example, like Tampa Bay has like the Rays, the Buccaneers. Um, obviously are the MLB team, but then the other. Sp- teams from outside are the bucks and I just the said lightning, it. right you didn't say the lightning okay yes i get um, that but yeah so that's that's basically what that means i thought that was kind of interesting as well <clears throat> since the since san diego lost its uh its nfl franchise it's made the friar faithful even more faithful um friars obviously being the the nickname of the padres if you weren't aware of that um petco park right now is pretty much the premier place to watch a game uh, in the MLB, given their talented team and the raucous atmosphere that those fans are bringing to every game, which was on display fully last night with that walk-off that we talked about earlier in the podcast. Um, Petco Park itself, uh, I have been there, unfortunately not to watch a game. I was just in San Diego for vacation and went and checked it out. It's pretty cool. They have like a a little... uh, Padres Hall of Fame outside of the stadium uh, with all of their like great players for like plaques and stuff. Um, there's a, a statue of Tony Gwynn 
and of uh, Hoffman as well, uh, who will both be on this team, I'm assuming. Uh, I know Trevor Hoffman is. Could only assume that uh, Tony Gwynn is probably on the Padres team. <laughs> we could only assume that the, that the greatest Padre yeah. of all time yeah, is on I, this I, team. You know, I, I don't know what you uh, what you got up to before you put together this team. So, <laughs> just <laughs> making sure. Um, yeah, but it's a beautiful stadium. Obviously, they have the San Diego skyline in the background, and of course, they have that kind of like old factory that's like in left field. That's kind of like sculpted into the building as well. That gives it some interesting character. Um, the military presence with this team is probably the largest of any team in the MLB. Um, this is because of the, like, the, in San Diego, the the naval or military presence or whatever is just big already because they have two naval bases right within the area. Um, so they, they rock those camo uniforms pretty often just to, you know, it's almost like a City Connect jersey in a way that they, uh, they represent their area uh, with with the camo to show some love to the Navy um, in that area. Um, yeah, and then uh, last little fact that I have here about the San Diego Padres is that they hosted the 2016 All-Star Game um, as well as, like, th- this this game was pretty much remembered mostly for the fact that that dude, uh, who was Canadian, so I apologize in advance, um, say. basically said all lives matter. Like, he, he incorporated it into the anthem, so that pissed a lot of people off. Canadian anthem. Yeah, Canadian, the Canadian anthem. anthem, whatever. Yeah. I, I think that probably makes it even worse. Um, I don't know. I th- yeah. Um, I, nobody knows who that band the is tenors. anymore. They shall remain nameless. No, fuck them. Nobody listens. I hope nobody listens to them. And if you do, you're a shithead. Um, they, although they did kick that guy yeah. out instantly. Um, that guy. Also, who listens to acapella music? Made Unless you're fucking Andy less, Bernard yeah, from like, The Office. Like, why are you. Why are you listening to acapella music? And yeah, unless you're out of touch. So he's out. That guy was out of touch. I mean, if it, that's probably the last time. I mean, Canadian musicians like that are probably no longer welcome. <laughs> yeah, thanks for ruining it for everyone. Now we'll never get to see Avril Lavigne do a national anthem. Thanks so much. God damn it. I, yeah. Speaking of cons- speaking of conspiracies, <laughs> Babe Ruth, Avril Lavigne, do they exist? Are they still real? Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so oh, basically, the the Friars also played. Um, to, like I said, Petco Park opened up in 2004. Before that, um, it was shared with uh, the the San Diego Char- Chargers. They played at a big ass stadium, kind of Oakland A's uh, style, which is more recent for the, for people that might remember that. Um, but yeah. So let's get into it. Why don't you start us off, Isaac, by maybe running through your infield um, for your Padres team? Okay. Well, well, everybody knows, first of all, touching on that stadium point, baseball stadiums and football stadiums do not blend. Um, if you still have one, you should not exist. You should get rid of your team, like Toronto. So Toronto shares one with the, like, I don't want to offend um, Greg, but... They share a stadium with an amateur. No, they don't. Te- oh no, they don't anymore. They they shared their stadium with an amateur football team, which was years. which was stupid. Um, and now they play in a soccer stadium, which still doesn't fit them. Anyways, um, starting off at catcher. So this uh, there's no Hall of Fame catcher here, but there's actually controversy, and it's the first time we've had controversy at this position because there are three catchers that belong on this roster at this position, and I don't think there's an answer here. That is going to please all Padres fans. 
So my options are Benito Santiago, who won three gold gloves in his seven seasons, and he threw out 37% of runners over that span, but he had a career span of 40%. And he also won Rookie of the Year in 1987. Um, and then there's Terry Kennedy, who leads all Padres catchers in hits and RBIs. And finally, Gene Tennis, who was the best offensive catcher that they had. He's an all-time leader in war for Padres catchers throughout his four seasons. Um, he also had the shortest span of any of those catchers. Uh, but the offensive stats say to go with Tennis, who posted a 402 on base percentage in his time. However, I am going with Terry Kennedy, who was a stable presence on both sides of the ball during his tenure. And he was also the benefit of being the catcher when they won their first NL pennant. Um, I mean, I really liked Benito Santiago on the defensive side. I thought he was the best, so I considered him. And I was actually going to pick Gene Tennis just because of his offensive contributions. But then I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to strike the balance right in the middle and go with Kennedy, who was very good as well. So there we go. Um, if Padre fans have an issue with that, please send us a DM on Instagram and uh, we can talk about it. Okay. At first base... So, to kick it off, I want to acknowledge Fred McGriff once again, who really was the best first baseman that they had, even though his his all-time county stats didn't work in favor just because of his time there, and it also blended in with the rest of his career in his other places. Uh, so, yeah, shout out Fred McGriff, the greatest, our favorite guy on this podcast, because I'm pretty sure he's now been mentioned on four <laughs> teams. <laughs> I think this might be the last team he's mentioned on, though, so we need... We need we need to celebrate. We need to pop some champagne for him. Uh, we love yeah. him. Anyways, should be in the Hall of Fame. And so it, so my guys that really are, con are contenders here are Adrian Gonzalez, Nate Colbert, and Ryan Clasco. Colbert is a franchise leader in home runs at 163, but it's Adrian Gonzalez at 161 who is your starting first baseman, and how could he not be? He was born in San Diego and raised in Tijuana. He only spent five seasons in San Diego due to a trade that ended his tenure in the offseason that I don't think many people liked. But by then, he had solidified himself among the top-tier players that have ever played in San Diego. Uh, his career line in San Diego ended up being 288, 374, 514, which is good for top spot at that position, and that's an OPS of 888. Um, at second base, first of all, I don't want to acknowledge him, but he was the best second baseman. But fuck Alomar. Mark Loretta is the Padres' all-time second baseman. In three seasons, Loretta joined Tony Gwynn as the only qualifying hitter with a batting average over 300. He played 15 seasons in the big leagues as a very average player. However, he put everything together in his time in San Diego posting a 314 batting average and an OPS over 800 in his three-year span. In 2004, he had his best season of any second baseman in franchise history, posting a war of 6.0. Um, so I, it was, I felt comfortable making this pick. Okay. So that's good. Shortstop, we're going to have some fun here. Uh -oh. They made it easy. They made it easy because Ozzie Smith was amazing defensively, but in his time in San Diego, he was pretty shit offensively and the Khalil Green who was also good but we didn't put Vladdy on the Blue Jays roster because of his company and potentially who knows where he's going to be six years down the line 
Fernando Tatis Jr. is the starting shortstop on this all-time roster based off of this season, based off his contract. He's already had the best season in history of a shortstop. So, I mean, this is the first time I do feel comfortable putting a young player on an all-time roster. Well, you didn't feel comfortable putting Wander Franco at shortstop for the Rays? Not really, but I did it anyways because I feel like we could sweep Yeah, because the alternatives in Tampa no were shit. No one's listening. Yeah, and no one's listening for the race as it is, so we can squeak that in. But the competition just isn't that strong. Uh, Tatis gets a huge advantage with his long-term contract. Like I said, Fernando Tatis is responsible for this pure excitement of this modern franchise. The only thing that may hold him back are his injury concerns. His 2021 season is already the best for a shortstop in franchise history, which I mentioned. He's currently sitting at 34 home runs. Also, he has a 657 slugging percentage, which currently is over 30 points higher than the single-season franchise record in Padres history. So this man sells tickets. It would simply be stupid not to put him on this roster. Who knows? Maybe one day he'll become one of the greatest outfielders in franchise yeah, history. we'll see. We'll see where he ends up uh, getting his lion chair at the time, eh? Yeah. Now, third base, I mean, steroid era, who knows if he did or who knows if he didn't. Um, first of all, before I mention the steroid era, I don't want to be disrespectful and get him caught up in it. Honorable mention to Phil Nevin, who is third all-time in home runs and maybe in consideration of a bench spot. So there is controversy with this pick. Sorry, the pick is Ken Kemeniti, who played four seasons from 1995 to 1998 so there's controversy with this pick because he spent 10 years in houston and absolutely could have been a consideration to play there however he undoubtedly had his greatest seasons in san diego in four seasons uh which were not only his personal best but some of the best years as a fran- that that the franchise has ever seen highlighted by his 1996 mvp season where he hit 40 home runs drove in 130, batted 326, slugged 621, which was the franchise mark until this year, if Tatis ends as it is. Um, and his OPS, sorry, just to strengthen, so his OPS plus that year was 171. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to strengthen his case, his OPS with the Padres over his tenure was 924, whereas in Houston it was 732. So he was essentially league average there. He also hit 121 home runs in four seasons as opposed to 103 in 10 seasons in Houston. The case here is far too strong, and he's probably already, he probably already has been outdone by Alex Bregman. Um, unfortunately, he passed away not too long after his career. He, he was one of those guys that, not one of those guys, he, he struggled with addiction his whole life. Uh, he passed away from an overdose of cocaine and heroin. Uh, so he had some shit going on throughout his tenure, but at the end of the day, he's one of the best players that they've had. Uh, I'll turn it over to you now before I get into I just had one team. more uh, kind of like a, a couple honorable mentions, actually, that I wanted to bring up with you and ask like how much you considered them. Uh, the one is uh, Gary Templeton, who was a shortstop for the Padres for 10 years. I uh, don't know if his name popped up on your radar not really eye-popping numbers, but... Uh, For defensive stats. It did. Defensive stats he did? Yes, but I I gave Ozzy 
Smith the edge just yeah. in the mentions because neither of them yeah, are going to well, make it. I, but Ozzie Smith is known as one of the greatest defensive of players of all time. Uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned Templeton. Yeah, because though, he was because he was a, he had an all star appearance and won a silver slugger in 1984, uh, as well as the good at, uh, defensive stats that Isaac mentioned. But I do think that when you look at where Tatis is in his career um, right now, and you know the 14 year contract that he has with the Padres, he for sure has potential to blow these guys out of the water. Um, so I, I I don't think it's if he hasn't yeah, exactly. already. I don't think it's a disrespectful pick at all to uh, to put him there over these guys. Uh, just another guy I want to send a shout out to is Tony Fernandez, RIP. Uh, he was obviously the shortstop for the the Blue Jays um, all time team, not the Padres. Um, but nonetheless, just another another name people probably think of when they think of Padres shortstops. Um, last one I have for you is uh, Manny Machado. Where did where did he play into your uh, your Padres consideration at third base? No, no, not at all. No, I he's one of those no, not at all because he's one of those guys that he needs to finish his career before he's considered. Mm-hmm. Because I believe it or not, I I mean he's good. I don't think he's a superstar. I don't think he just jumps out as a guy that should be on this mm-hmm. roster and. Who am I going to put him in there over? Like, Ken Kaminiti no, had four of the best seasons at third base in history. I was just curious, like, where for he ranks. Like, franchise. to me, at this point, I still think of Machado more uh, with the Orioles. It's an um, Oriole. He spent more time there, obviously. Uh, some of his numbers overall. Like, he had some of his better seasons in Baltimore. Um, obviously, he had a really yeah. good year in the shortened season last season. But, but there's, also, there's also considerations here with the other guys you give honorable mentions to because you can only give so many. Nate Colbert and Ryan Klesko are both had better stat lines than uh, okay. Machado. So at the end of the day, like Machado isn't in consideration. He's hasn't been there long enough and he hasn't done enough for this organization yet. He's a key piece in yeah. this era. So moving forward, maybe we'll have to, it'll something, be something that we maybe yeah, look back 10 on years down the line. and reflect and be like, okay, Manny Machado yeah. actually, you know, given everything he did you know the Padres went out and won a couple World Series with him at third base so you know like okay gotcha like of all the teams that like we've done so far we haven't there's stars on each team that we haven't mentioned it's true all right so well uh let's move into something that is a little more set in stone and that is the bullpen this bullpen has actually had uh its fair share of Hall of Famers come through and just really good arms. By far the best bullpen we've had so far. Um, the first and probably the biggest no like bullpen no-brainer for any team outside of the Yankees and Mariano Rivera. Obviously, we haven't done our Yankees team yet, but that's everyone that has half a brain and knows anything about the existence of baseball knows that Mariano Rivera is the best closer of all time and will be on that Yankees team. But the second best closer, arguably, of all time is Trevor Hoffman. He spent his career uh, almost exclusively with the Padres. It wasn't exclusively. He spent 16 out of 19 years with the Padres. Um, but yeah, absolute no-brainer. Uh, in that time, he pitched to a tune of 276 ERA and a 104 whip. Uh, that's across 16 seasons, folks. That's very, very, very impressive to keep your numbers that low um, for that duration of a career. Uh, his 9.7K per nine, uh, 
resulted in 1,029 uh, strikeouts with the Padres. He had 146 ERA plus and a 293 FIP for his Padres career. He had 552 saves with the Padres, which is obviously the most uh, for the the Padres all time. Um, that alone would earn him second place in saves all time, just if you took his Padres career. Um, but his 601 total is the second most, only behind the Sandman, Mariano Rivera. Um, so that's it's pretty crazy. I also think something that I didn't notice until today when I looked up uh, Trevor Hoffman's actual numbers and everything were him and Mariano Rivera are the only two closers in baseball history who have exceeded 500 saves, and they're both over 600. So those two are probably never going to be touched, honestly. The way that like bullpens are moving towards committees and not giving guys a defined role, giving people more time off and pitching less innings, inning, inning monitoring, and all that shit, uh, th- these are probably two records that are never going to be touched again. The Mariano Rivera's... Uh, record of like I think it's like 650 something um and then don't quote me on that though because uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me and then Trevor Hoffman 601 crazy he's a hall of famer seven-time all-star two-time reliever of the year presented by Rolaid. that's a little callback if uh <laughs> if anyone listened to our previous <laughs> podcast uh two-time Cy Young award winner and or sorry he finished uh, Cy Young voting Finished second in Cy Young voting twice. He didn't win the Cy Young award. Um, he led the league in saves twice. He eclipsed the 40 save mark 10 times in his career, and his single season high was 53. The statues or the Padres have a statue of him, as I mentioned, outside of the entrance of Petco Park. No brainer. Trevor Hoffman. Anything to say about him, Isaac? <laughs> no. You said everything <laughs> literally awesome. everything it's i didn't incredible. want to miss anything because he's like literally the second best go. closer of all time so i i didn't want to i didn't want to miss anything um fair enough yeah. secondly we have heath bell uh, now heath bell spent five years with the padres they were the best years of his career by quite a bit kind of interesting too that you know he's he's getting the setup role on this all-time team because he was Hoffman's setup man from 2007 to 2008 before taking over as the closer in 2009 when Hoffman left. So I think it's fitting that we have him in this setup role here for us. Um, his three all-star appearances in his career all came with the Friars. He also won two reliever of the year awards. Uh, he was the team's closer from 2009 to 2011, uh, a time in which he accumulated 132 saves in that time, which is over 40 per season. Um, he had a 253 ERA and a 111 whip, K per nine of 9.4, 389 total, and an ERA plus of 150. Another, I, I guess you can't say no-brainer because of the other guys in this bullpen, but I think that those numbers speak for themselves. Um, even though his tenure wasn't as long as some of the other guys that maybe people think about, I think that the, the overall success that he had was just so immense that I think he deserves the the second spot in this bullpen. All right. And lastly, before I get into some honorable mentions, because as I mentioned, it's it's a deep bullpen, um, I'm going with Mark Davis for for the third. 
He's the only Padres reliever in history to win a Cy Young Award. I think that in itself is a pretty amazing feat and needs to be recognized. Um, That Cy Young Award came in 1989 when he put up these numbers. League-leading 44 saves, league-leading 65 games finished, a 185 ERA, 104 whip, 92 strikeouts uh, across 92.2 innings. So pretty much a K per nine um, of nine. Uh, All-star in 1988 and 1989. He had five-season career with the Padres. Uh, his second stint was not as memorable as, as those first couple years, uh, but when it was all said and done, he still had a 275 ERA with the team. So Mark Davis is my third spot here. A um, couple of honorable mentions here. Uh, Goose Gossage, or uh, Rich Gossage, depending on which name you want to choose for him. Uh, didn't put him here. He had a lot of success, obviously, with the Padres, but in my opinion, uh, he's more of a Yankee. He spent a lot more time there. His best seasons were with the Yankees. Um, so we'll see if he makes that Yankees team, but I'm leaving him in consideration there. Um, also, Kirby Yates, who is now a member of the Blue Jays. Uh, he had a 240... Kind of. <laughs> yeah, in a way. He had a, a 240 ERA, uh, 0.97 whip, 170 ERA plus, and 14K per nine, uh, which is a franchise high. Um, that was in his first three seasons. Uh, last year, he only pitched four, uh, four and a third inning and was clearly injured and like was obviously not very good. Um, now he's a Blue Jay, as I mentioned. He's uh, recovering from Tommy John surgery on the Blue Jays' dime. Uh, but yeah, he also led the league in 2019 with 41 saves. So I think I'd be remiss if I didn't... Uh, throw Kirby Yates name out there. Um, some other guys I had here were uh, Craig LaFertz, Mike Adams, Houston Street, who uh, whose 80 saves were fifth in franchise history, uh, Lance McCullers, not Lance McCullers Jr., uh, Lance McCullers, who took over as the closer after uh, Goose Gossage departed. Uh, he had a nice 2.96 ERA for his four seasons. And then uh, Greg Harris is another guy uh, who split some ro- time between the rotation and the pen but racked up a 15.8 war across his career, uh, which is pretty solid. So shout out all those guys as well. Um, yeah, I just did a lot of talking, Isaac. Let's get back to your uh, your outfield. There you go. The real excitement is. Yeah, I mean, you have the best two players in franchise history over here. Um, outfield is so deep in San Diego that there are going to be a couple guys more than worthy left off the roster first of all i want to do a quick shout out before i forget to greg vaughn who is the only guy to hit 50 home runs in a single season uh he was also drafted five fun fact about him he was drafted five times before signing Damn, with the team what the hell? Uh, <laughs> so i don't know maybe some I, health concerns how that or happens something? i mean so i'm assuming he got well and they weren't like low draft pick rounds he got drafted out of high school, and then I'm sure he went to college after year one, drafted two, three, four, like that kind mm. of shit. So, anyways, um, honorable mention to Steve Finley, who is already rostered in Arizona. Uh, a huge mention to Gene Richards, who ranks fifth in batting average, third in runs, fifth in position player war, fourth in hits, second in triples, and second in stolen bases, um, and still isn't making the outfield. Ricky Henderson, who collected his 3,000th hit 
as a member of the Padres. That's the only reason I wanted to mention him. Oakland A. Um, because obviously he doesn't belong here. <laughs> yeah. um, and Will Venable, I'm going to mention him because he came in during a shitty era. He was kind of like the Vernon Wells of <laughs> San Diego, where he was good, but nobody was paying attention to that team. Um, so first of all, outfield, number one guy goes to, not number one, but the first spot goes to Brian Giles, played from 2003 to 2009. Brian Giles easily had his best years in Pittsburgh. In fact, they were all Hall of Fame caliber years, but he doesn't make that roster, as you'll see when we build that franchise. You can make an entire roster out of just their outfielders. Um, therefore, he's here. He was in the middle of their lineup during back-to-back division-winning years. In his seven years with the franchise, he slashed 279, 380, 435, and had a 17.4 war. He is also interchangeable with a few of these guys that were uh, honorable mentions, but um, he does have the slight edge. How about defensively? We'll breeze over him quickly. He's fine defensively. I probably would have picked Gene Richards over him defensively. Um, But... He's here, so... Welcome. He will stay as is. Welcome. <laughs> All right. The number two spot, he's not going to be on the Yankees. He's a Padre. I don't care what he says. I don't care what the Yankees say. We he's don't care what Greg says. That that's is Dave. Sure. Don't care what Greg says. I'm happy that Greg's not here right now to debate it. Um, Dave Winfield is the starting outfielder of this franchise. 1973 to 1980... A Hall of Famer, 12-time All-Star, 7-times Gold Glove winner, 6-time World Series champ, obviously none of which were with the Padres, <laughs> spent 8 years in San Diego and 9 with the Yankees. Um, it is, uh, yeah, I, it has to be the Padres. I don't think he ma- actually makes the roster just because how deep it is there. Um, but, yeah, no. So just go look at his numbers season by season. His 32 war is second best in franchise history next to our second to our next outfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even have to rhyme off the numbers. If you really want to look at Dave Winfield, because nah, you know rip. who Dave Winfield is, if you really just, need yeah, to just, see it. Just do a quick rip through. Just look do, you me, do you want me to rip through it right well, now, just real quick? Yeah, rip through. Yeah, I pulled up his San right Diego then? numbers. Um, so uh, he was there from 73 to uh, 1980, and uh, he had a batting average of 284. On base percentage of 357, slugging 464. That's an 821 OPS. Um, he had 154 home runs, 626 RBIs, stole 133 bases. Yeah, there you go. I and just add, add some emphasis to the seven-time Gold Glove yep. winner. Um, he was incredibly def- incredible defensively. And if it weren't for the next guy, I think Dave Winfield has a legitimate case as being seen as the greatest Padre to date. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, we're saving this guy for last. He is Mr. Padre, and he's none other than Tony Gwynn, the man that proved if you don't hit home runs, you are not allowed to be the MVP. This man played all 20 of his seasons in San Diego, putting up historic num- numbers in almost every one of those always leading the league in batting average, capped off by his 1994 season where he batted 394. Damn. A fun fact about Tony Gwynn provided by MLB.com, if you split his numbers in half, he was still ranked first and second in war, hits, runs, total bases, and doubles for this franchise. Jesus Christ. <laughs> his eight, his eight, eight batting titles are the most in the past 100 years. 
And the only person that has more batting titles than Tony Gwynn is Ty Cobb. Hmm. Craziness. People have put his numbers to to the test, seeing what what his stat line looked like against only Hall of Fame pitchers he faced, and it's virtually identical to all of his uh, all of the other pitchers that he faced. He finished with a career. He finished his career with a batting average of three thirty eight. This is over the course of twenty seasons. This man didn't have a fall off. For just a quick reference, Isaac, um, you you mentioned that uh, he's second only to Ty Cobb in, in batting titles won. Uh, Ty Cobb played from 1905 to 1928. So this is, it's it's part of that era that we kind of talked about where guys were playing against fucking mechanics and stuff. Obviously like black people, (laughs) like people of color weren't allowed to participate in the MLB. It was a different time to say what you will. Like I'm not taking anything away from Ty Cobb really, because he is, uh, like easily one of the greatest players of all time in baseball history. But it, it, the the competition was watered down, so it's it to me it's more impressive to see what Tony yeah. Gwynn was able to accomplish than Ty Cobb. Well, the fact that he has eight, which is the most in the past one hundred years, I would say he's a better player than yep. Ty Cobb. Yeah, I mean, he played from nineteen eighty two to two thousand one. Mm-hmm. This is a steroid era. There was no no talk about this man taking steroids. This guy just raked. If you look at his power numbers, he didn't hit. He didn't hit home runs. He hit doubles. He hit triples. Ty Cobb. He hit singles. <laughs> got on base. I mean, Ty Cobb. Yeah, but yeah. it's 1901. They also don't have yeah. anything. They have scrawny little arms like you and me, and they drink beer all day. That's what they did, and smoke cigarettes and cigars like in the clubhouse, in the dugout, um, in the clubhouse. Exactly. Tony Gwynn is. I don't. He's not only one of the best players. I mean, he's not only the best player in franchise history. He's one of the greatest baseball players all around to play. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Um, Jacob, are you looking at his numbers? Yeah. It's just, I think, the fact that he didn't get an MVP, that's what I'm saying. Like, he didn't get one because he didn't hit for Mm -hmm. power. So he's proving what David Ortiz proved for designated hitters. You can't win an MVP if you're a DH, and you can't win an MVP if you don't hit home runs. So it's reserved for those types mm-hmm. of players, which is bullshit. But anyways, rest in peace to one of the greatest hitters of all yeah. time. Also, forgot to mention, he is part of the 3,000 hit club. No big you know, deal. He actually... Um, oh, and never mind. I was, gonna, I was looking at Dave Winfield's numbers being like, wait, he had some home runs. Thinking it was uh, Tony Gwynn. My bad. yeah no um the funny thing about so all these outfielders here all right fielders Mm. um it's okay we can move them around i mean they have all played they've all like dave winfield he could play throw him in center he's good um so my bench spot i'm kind of leaving up in the air for now maybe some padres fans will dm us before we put this pod i mean when this podcast comes out before we put the actual thing up um because I'm putting it. I'm giving it to Gene Richards over Klesko and Colbert. Um, it's temporary. I'm a big fan of Gene Richards. I think he should. Be, I I want him to be in the outfield, but it's hard to make a case for him there. So I think I want to give him the bench spot. Uh, Jacob or Greg, of course, they can debate it. They can dive into their numbers and make that decision. But I really do want. And my pick, my personal pick, my personal bias that I like this guy, I really want Gene Richards to be on this roster. So I'm giving him a bench spot right okay. now. Um, he's also he's also going to come off the bench 
because he's second in franchise history in stolen bases, and he's going to be That's a what I was runner. Say. So he's going to be very versatile. Um, sub him out in the field if we need to for uh, Brian Giles, who is probably not as good defensively as Gene Richards was, just based on the steal, stolen bases. Uh, but yeah, so that's my all-time lineup, Sweet. and I'm excited to hear what Greg's gonna say with his starting yeah. pitchers. Um, yeah. So basically, what's gonna happen now? It'll be nice and seamless. You won't even know it, but uh, Greg is gonna send us his his audio, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, of his all-time starting roster, and uh, yeah, we're gonna go from there. It it. Obviously, we won't be able to debate him. So if he says anything egregious, just know uh, this is it's all on Greg. Okay, we we didn't have any input on which starting pitchers he chose. And uh, before we put out that picture, as we normally do, uh, we're, we have like a little side discussion in our in our um, like group chat, basically. And if we decide that uh, there might be some changes, then then there will be. Um, so. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to see what the final take is, it'll come out sometime this week uh, on Instagram at Shape by Sports. So you should definitely follow us there uh, for stuff like that, and of course, way more content, not just baseball. <clears throat> okay, first of all, hello, uh, Greg here. Uh, we're gonna list off some of those all-time starters for your San Diego Padres, the Friars. Um, number one, I think this is a clear-cut ace. Number one in the staff. Jake Peavy, um, very easy decision for me. 2007 pitcher triple crown, um, which included the the Cy Young that year. Absolutely dominant, led the league in whip and strikeouts in that 2007 season. Uh, overall with the Padres, a 92-68 and 68 record. Over 1,300 Ks, 329 ERA, not too shabby at all. For me, growing up, watching the Padres when they were on TV, any highlights, um, this guy was kind of at the forefront of all those highlights. He's kind of he's one of those those memorable guy memorable guys that gets it done for you. Um, you always see him in the highlight reel. Enough said. Two time All Star with the Padres, over thirteen hundred Ks. Very easy. Um, numbers two through four in this location rotation could kind of go either way, but I'll have Eric Show at number two. Uh, 100 wins, eighty seven losses uh, record with the Padres, three fifty nine ERA. 951 Ks, uh, which I believe is second on the Padres all-time K list. Uh, so we'll put Eric Show at the number two spot. Uh, number three, we got Randy Jones, uh, two-time All-Star with the Padres, uh, also a Cy Young win. Uh, and he does have his number 35 retired by the Padres. Anytime you get your number retired by an organization, you kind of automatically jump into that all-time roster conversation. I think that's pretty fair. Um, to claim. So as that number three starter, um, retired number 35, unfortunately his record was under 500, which kind of drops him down the rank here or else uh, I'm sure he'd be a little bit higher. Um, and that was Randy Jones, uh, fourth on this pitching staff, which realistically could be a number two. Uh, one of the best names potentially in baseball history. Uh, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong here. Maybe I have a different opinion, but we have Gaylord Perry, um, Won the NL Cy Young in 1978, um, and I believe he was really overshadowed by his location. Pitching in San Diego, he was pretty lights out. Um, if he was in a great area like New York, uh, where he gets a lot of more media attention, um, and just kind of he's in the spotlight a little bit more, I think he'd be a lot highly regarded or more highly regarded 
um, and kind of go down in the record books as a little more household of a name. Uh, he was indu- inducted into the Hall of Fame, I believe, in 91, somewhere around there. And that's Gaylord Perry, that number four guy in this rotation. And number five, we have Andy Ashby. Um, in 1998, he won 17 games, quite a feat. Um, nice long career, but spent a good chunk of it with the Padres. Uh, the best best seasons of his career for sure. He had 70 total wins with the organization and just a hair under 830 Ks, uh, clocking in at 829 with the Padres. Um, and that rounds up the rotation again. Once more through, that's Jake Peavy, number one, easy ace, Eric Show, Randy Jones, Gaylord Perry, and Andy Ashby. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with my brother Isaac and, uh, you know, to, to the fans, because even though you're not here with us having the conversation, we know that you are listening and we appreciate you. So, uh, yeah, take care and we'll talk to you next week. 